that he's planted on it. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I'm so thankful that we get to be together today. It's so good to see everyone again, and it's fun to be back in Owasso. I've spent a lot of time over the past year on our Tulsa campus, and that's where Chris is this morning. And it's really remarkable to see what God's doing in Tulsa. This last Wednesday night, there were about 140 people on campus. All of them that were adults were either learning English or learning Spanish, and then there were about 50 50 students and kids that were there. And it's just amazing to see the way God has worked through your prayer and through your gifts and just through the way you've spent time, some of you as volunteers in that place and space, and I'm so thankful that you're there. I hope you'll be praying for Chris as he preaches there this morning. Right now, he's standing up to do that, and so I'm thankful for that. And this morning also, I want to introduce our special guest here today. Um, I'm really excited about this. Uh, This weekend, um, I'm working towards a doctoral uh, degree. I have a dissertation. My project began this weekend, and so yesterday I hosted a workshop at Camp Lockridge, and I was able to invite a friend to come speak as a part of that. And and really, he's been a mentor to Chris. He's been a, a mentor to me and really to so many other pastors. Steve Dighton is the founding pastor of Lenexa Baptist Church up near Kansas City. Um, Over his tenure there, that church grew to, I believe, five campuses total. Is that right? Six? The challenge is they keep growing campuses, is they just keep (laughs) birthing new churches out from them. And he's been such an encouragement to me. Uh, Recently, he retired after 26 years and now is the, the large church congregation specialist. Uh, for the for the North American Mission Board, and so he was one of my guest speakers yesterday, and I'm just so thankful that he's here to to preach with us today. We're going to continue in our looking at Ezra, and he's already given me a preview of what he's doing. It's, it's so fantastic, and so I'm so thankful. Steve, go ahead and come on up, and and if you would, would you welcome Steve Dighton? Thank you, Chad. Thanks for kindness. Well, amen and amen. It's great to be with you today, church, and thank you for that introduction. Chad, um, I know you brought your Bible. If you'll, uh, It should open to the book of Ezra since y'all been going through Ezra, but if you'll find it open to chapter 4, it's going to be my preaching text today. Actually, uh, Pastor Chris had invited me to come and preach on a couple of times, but uh, we were usually providentially hindered or something come up either with him or I, and it just never happened. And and so, uh, actually, Mary and I planned on vacationing uh, a little this week, and instead of going to Florida, we came to Tulsa. So, uh, that tells you something about how we vacation, I guess. But uh, anyhow, it's good to be with you yesterday, Chad, and I uh, certainly have enjoyed getting fellowship with Chris while I'm here as well. It's been my privilege, as uh, Chad made mention, to do some mentoring uh, with Chad and, and, and with, with Chris. And uh, hopefully, um, I've done some good. Some have rubbed off on Chris. Uh, actually, Chris and I go back several years. So, uh, I, I tried to get him to come to be the youth minister at Lenexa Baptist uh, 20 plus years ago. Uh, and uh, he was uh, where he felt like God had him. And, and sure enough, it would be shortly after that, that he was called to be the pastor here at First Baptist Owasso. And so we rejoice with he and Robin as they serve the Lord through serving you here. Um, as we look at chapter 4 of uh, Ezra, we're going to learn some truths today that really uh, are, are pervasive and, and, and really will emerge from the text. And uh, here, let, let me just back up a little bit. You know, usually when I come and preach for someone, I, I get, get to preach a text that I'm real familiar with or a sermon that maybe I've worked on and preached previously, and, and so it's kind of like a sugar stick kind of thing, you know, you get to preach your best stuff. Uh, well, Chris told me, he said, look, I'm in the middle of Ezra, preaching through the book of Ezra. 
I said, you must be breaking up. I thought you said Ezra. He said, no, Ezra is where I'm preaching. Uh, you can just pick up and preach out of Ezra 4. And I thought to myself, dang, I wish he had been preaching through the gospel of John. Uh, why couldn't he have been doing, uh, you know, throwing me a softball maybe in, in the book of James or something like that. But no, we're in Ezra. And I tell you what is so sweet about the word of God. As I began to study this text, let me tell you what emerged from this text. These principles, these timeless truths we're going to look at today, were telling my story. Have you ever come to church and felt like, hey, that, that pastor's been reading my mail, when all along the dynamic Word of God was speaking to your heart right where you were living? And as I've studied this and prepared it for today, I felt that same way. And indeed, we're going to be sharing a few of those truths with you today. And here's what I know. If we decide we're going to do God's work it will be met with opposition. Along the way, when you go God's way, you will find there's suddenly discouragement, trials, and countless uphill climbs. That's my story, and I'll bet it's anyone who has made a, 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 an attempt to do what God would have them do. So uh, my sermon title is simply Trusting God in Tough Times. Trusting God in Tough Times. Anybody here ever had any tough times? Besides Chris here on the front row, I mean, excuse me, Chad, Chris has got hard times at the other uh, campus, I guess. We're all having hard times, is my point. Sure we are. It's the way it works. Jesus told us, in this world you'll have tribulations. Tribulation, in, in other words, we'll use a synonymous phrase, in this world you're going to have some tough times, but take heart, he said, I have overcome the world. Man, as I think about the things that we've dealt with these past year and a half, I actually Friday before I, I drove uh, down to Tulsa, I was doing a funeral for a 57-year-old guy who was a member of my church over the years, had gotten COVID and uh, couldn't survive. The broken-hearted family, I preached again the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Can we just agree those are tough, tough times? Well, as we look at this text today, the background, of course, you know, but just to reinforce and reiterate that once again, I'm not sure that you knew this, but Ezra and Nehemiah in the Hebrew Bible is only one book. It's the story of returning of God's people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, the walls that were in ruin, and also the temple as well. These were difficult days for God's people so tough, so difficult, that we have an entire book of the Bible that Jeremiah the prophet wrote. As he looked at the ruins of Jerusalem, we know this book as Lamentations. He was lamenting over the ruins that he saw, and it was heartbreaking to him. As you remember, God's people had spent 70 years in captivity at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, but in 538 B.C., a new world leader emerged from Persia. Cyrus began to allow Jews to return back to their country. 50,000 returned, and soon they began this monumental project of rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the city. However, when we get to chapter 4, after three years of work, suddenly the work stopped. And can I tell you, for over 15 years, the work ceased. However, you come to chapter 5, and that long, protracted work stoppage, once again, the hammers began to be heard. 
the chisels and the stonemasons and the craftsmen began to be engaged again, God's people had survived the onslaught of opposition. The opposition that once derailed their dreams or aspirations, now God's people had overcome. Their struggles and their conflicts and their trials were theirs. And believe me, they learned some timeless truths, and so can we as we study God's Word today. Would you stand in honor of reading God's Word? I'm going to read six verses, so please stand in honor of reading God's Word. And then we'll have you seated, going to kind of share some things that I believe that is found in this text, and I pray it'll be a blessing to you as well. Now, the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, and they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's house and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to him ever since the day of Haddon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and And Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's house in Israel said to them, We have nothing to, you have nothing to do with us in building the house to our God. But we alone will build uh, to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Cyrus the king of Persia has commanded us, verse 4. And then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. And all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. and the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. These were some trials they were going through. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. I want to pray for you as you go through your own personal trials. Lord, you know the hearts of each one that's gathered here today. Undoubtedly, there's some family issues here, the dynamics of raising kids, the challenges it always is to keep our family intact and and to to lead them in the right way. God, I pray for the families that are here. I I pray for those who've been dealing with COVID and the illnesses that are are always going on and people dealing uh, with aging problems and just the issues of life and found themselves seriously sick or chronically ill. I pray for those that are struggling financially, Lord. I pray you'd meet their need and they would see the hope when they give to you that you return to them a blessing. I pray, Lord, that you would use us today. We've traveled here for a purpose, and that was to open the Word of God to the people of God, that we might be a blessing. Help us to be a blessing. So, Lord, speak through me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Three quick things we're going to look at together. The first is this. There was this opportunity that God had provided. Here's what we know. When God wants his work done, he gathers willing people to himself, and that's what's going on in the text. The return of God's people was birthed by the prophet Daniel. You go all the way back to chapter 9 of Daniel Suddenly, Daniel reads Jeremiah's prophecy, and he sees that God had promised the return of the captives, and that really set him praying for God's purpose in his people. And here's what we know. When God wants something done, guess what he does? He starts God's people praying. And I would tell you this, answered prayers are the prayers that are authored in the throne room of God. 
You want to pray God's will? Get on your knees to God, and you can be praying God's will as he will initiate what he wants to do in and through you in the place of prayer. So soon God began to put the parts of the puzzle back together, and Nehemiah heard about the shame and the devastation of what was going on in Jerusalem. And you remember in chapter 1, Nehemiah, he began to weep and to pray and to get a burden to go back and return. But we read as well, When Nehemiah came back, opposition started almost immediately. Some personalities, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they powerful and crafty men, began to be his nemesis. But soon God's plan would prevail, and Nehemiah would finish that project in 52 days when God was with him. But there were some tough times. There always are. Then strong adversity, some big challenges. And with Ezra, while God provided this opportunity, we see here in chapter 4, the opposition was ever present again. But God would prove this, that he had a plan, and he indeed was at work. What was he doing? He was raising up people and opportunities and a mission as he desired to accomplish what he wished to do in those people that day. Oh, not that they were so wise or not that they were so worthy, not that they were so renowned. Quite the contrary, not unlike us. God will use us, not because we're worthy, not because we're well-known, not because we're that crafty, but he uses people who will say yes to him, who with Isaiah of old will say, here, my Lord, use me, send me, make something of me. He uses people who will say, Lord, I'm available. He's got the person that he wants to accomplish his will, and you may be that person. Let me tell you, here's the way it works. Rest assured, Satan never wants God's work to prosper. But quite honestly, all you have to do to resist this satanic opposition is do nothing. Do nothing. That'll do it. Why would Satan want to attack somebody who's doing nothing? He's not a problem. He's not attacking the church and not trying to do anything, take some ground to reach some people. He's got that person right where he wants them. Usually a little cynical, a little sour, a little apathetic, a little indifferent. And that person that's vulnerable for Satan's fiery darts and attacks or that man or woman who's engaged, who are serving the Lord, who are sharing the gospel, who are doing what God has called them to do, And that's when we are met with this opposition. You read verse 2, we find this first wave of opposition is deception. These adversaries, they tell Zerubbabel, hey, we're on your team. We're going with you. We'll help you. Matter of fact, we've been sacrificing to your God ever since we came here. But God's servants knew better. They smelt a rat. Because they knew better than to partner with pagan religions. And these were indeed troublemakers. And they knew there was but one purpose. And their purpose was to disrupt and destroy these Jewish laborers who'd come to rebuild. Well, it continues. And not only was there deception, suddenly there was this wave of discouragement as well. (laughs) As if that adversarial problem wasn't enough, they hire some, some other people. Counselors to frustrate the efforts, to threaten, to intimidate them. And if that's not enough, they craft a letter and write it to King 
Ahasuerus to discredit and destroy the mission that God had called them. And sure enough, they succeeded, at least temporarily, as the project would be shut down for nearly 16 years. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, Chad, and having a building project? This one going back 2005, all of a sudden, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to work on this for a while. 16 years pass, and this is sitting in ruins. Can you imagine? That's what happened, though. And then things began to change, and God would come and put back together his plan and purpose after this long, protracted problem. You know, I just wonder how many dreams, how many God-given opportunities have been destroyed by the same opposition we see here. Sometimes deception and lies, sometimes just discouragement, some people who are spiritually indifferent. Sometimes it's more obvious than that, people who are disruptive and seek really, even though they don't get it, to destroy what God is doing. Can I tell you, sometimes the enemy's not from without. Sometimes the enemy's from within. One time Winston Churchill said, when there is no enemy within, the enemies from without cannot hurt you. But when there is discouragement and disagreements and strife in the church, can I tell you, with all certainty, the church will go nowhere. Here's what I've learned. Unity is the critical piece of growing a church. When love and harmony swallow up any hint of disparaging and destructive efforts, then you can do something and make a difference and make a mark for the kingdom of God. Remember what Paul wrote in chapter 2 and to the church at Philippi? You can fulfill my joy by being like-minded, have the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, and let this attitude be in you that was also in Jesus Christ. Psalmist said, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Unity is so critical. In this narrative we're reading today, we learn that this truth, God's delays are not God's denials. You hear me? Sometimes God doesn't act as quick as we wish he would. There was a long stall here, but still God wanted to do something. And maybe you've been put on hold for one reason or the other. Maybe things spiritually have stalled out or or an anticipation of what you thought God wanted you to do, but now you can't get any traction. Just remember, these delays are not denials. But here's what reignited this great work of God. A couple of prophets by the name of Haggai and Zechariah, a priest named Ezra, they came to the rescue with God's word in tow. And the people were revived. They were reanimated. They were renewed. For Ezra had prepared his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Seems like we said that verse a little earlier. Listen, going God's way never has been easy. Going God's way is always met with resistance, can I tell you? You, you read the New Testament, and particularly the life of the Apostle Paul. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I've been in prison, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been in danger in the city and in the country, danger in my own people, danger from the Gentiles, I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, I've been cold. This works hard. 
It's hard work going God's way. But James still would write, listen, we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials because our problems are doing something in our life if we'll allow them. They'll teach us patience. And when patience has its perfect work, then we will be complete, not lacking in anything. God's Word says your trials are not in vain because God never wastes the pain. And we believe this today, for God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose. And I'm just telling you simply today, God will provide an opportunity. He's providing opportunities for you. But don't be surprised when there's opposition that he permits. One last thing, and I'll be through. We see not only the opportunity God provided, the opposition that he permitted, but let's, let's conclude on a positive uh, statement here, and that is the outcome that God purposed. You see, both Nehemiah and Ezra had been in prayer and their prayers compelled them to return to Jerusalem, to build down those broken down walls, to lay a new foundation for the temple to be rebuilt that the Babylonians had destroyed. In Ezra chapter 1, we see the word of the Lord began this work. You read in chapter 6, it would be the word of God that encouraged the workers and ultimately led them to finish what they had begun. Don't you love what it says in Philippians chapter 1, 6? For he who began a good work in you will bring it into completion in the day of Jesus Christ. I, I love what it says in Romans 4 about, about Abraham, the great patriarch. It says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith knowing that what God had promised he was able to perform, and that's what they would see here. This is a story about an opportunity that was laden with opposition, crippled by conflict. But can I tell you, that's usually the way it is when you go God's way. God's will isn't to make everything easy. It's not easy. There's opposition. It's demanding. And you and I have a responsibility. Let's show some resiliency. Let's be tenacious. Let's persevere. Jeremiah the prophet would say, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I love what it says in James chapter 1. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test, and he will see the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. What's he saying? Remain steadfast, be tenacious, persevere, be resilient. But what is God saying here? What are the lessons that we need to learn? I will tell you this. Here's what we need to learn. We learn most of our lessons not in our successes, but in our failures, in our defeats, and in our disappointments. The great, uh, great golfer Bobby Jones, who built Augusta National and was U.S. amateur champion, attorney, incredible guy. Here's what he said one time. I have not learned one thing from the matches I won. But I've learned a lot of things in the matches I lost. I read a book uh, a few years ago by John Maxwell called Failing Forward. And in that book, there's this principle that certainly <clears throat> was, was the essence of the book. <clears throat> he said the difference between an ordinary person and extraordinary person is how they respond to failure. Listen, God has a habit of taking broken people, broken lives, 
broken situations, situations, and then from the ashes of defeat and desperation, he makes them whole, and this is his greatest work. You know why? Because we become trophies of his grace, not about what we could do, but what he can do in and through us. As I mentioned, this chapter in Ezra is really telling our story. And as I prepared this message, it became evident that of my experience being, actually 1989, I, I, I had an opportunity to go to Kansas City area, southwest part of town, where we live now and where I pastored for 26 years, well, next to Kansas. There was a small group of people that were meeting in a school cafeteria, and they were starting a church. I had a connection there in the chairman of the search committee. I was at, actually pastoring First Baptist uh, Piedmont, Oklahoma, and uh, man, I just wasn't sure God was in it. But Mary and I persisted in pray, prayer. We interviewed, turned them down, prayed about it some more. They returned to us and asked us to come back, and we felt like God was in it. We know he was in it now. However, we got started, and things went pretty well for a while, and uh, Three years into being the, the startup pastor there of this new church, uh, we'd got up to about 175 people, and, and, and things were, were going pretty well. But what I didn't know, there were some underlying issues, some fragile things that I really didn't understand and still don't till today. But here's what happened. I got three people, <laughs> three men who wanted to get rid of me. Without just cause, they, uh, they, they, they just had determined that they, they didn't want me as, as their pastor. And so I tried to deal with it as redemptively as I knew how and tried to keep things together, but it, it wasn't to be. And so after three-plus years, we lost half the church one Sunday. And so what had begun with a few people, under 100 people, after three years of labor, we've lost more than we started with, and we were broken. What were we going to do? You know, you can just do so much. I'm the only staff person. I can just take so many cuts and pay, or we, and, and we're gone. We're gone. We're sunk. It's, it's hard to start a church, especially if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and I, I really didn't. But I believed that God could help me. So we stayed the course. A year and a half goes by, and the attrition is getting us. We get to under, under 70 people. And that's, that's counting kids and everybody. And we really did a little restart. We got a little abandoned office building, kind of built our first building, changed the name of our church, <clears throat> and got a place, a permanent place in Lenexa. And suddenly, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God just blew by and began to help us and send us people, and we began to reach people, and, and we, we saw a little become a lot. And soon we had 100 people, and then we had 200, and then we had 300, then we had 500, then we relocated, and soon we had 1,000. And we kept laboring and reaching people with the gospel. And soon we had 2,000, then we had 3,000. And then, as uh, Chad made mention, we had five campuses, and three in uh, Missouri and three in Kansas, and, and God was doing a great work. 6,000 people joined our church, baptized 2,000 of those who came. And we were able to retire from there debt-free. But I'm just here to tell you today, 
And this is no exaggeration. We were this close to that church never being concluded. But God gave us the grace to continue on. You know, not because I'm so great a guy, because I'm not. I'm not even that gifted of guy. But I'll tell you what, I had nowhere else to go but to the Lord. And he helped us because we withstood the opposition. And the things that are dealt with here in this text, deception and lies. Listen, everything was told about me that, were, that was untrue to build a case why I needed to go. Discouragement. Can you imagine how we felt? I mean, everybody's gone. And then the pain of losing half of the church. So many Sundays we just came and said, where's everybody at, you know? (laughs) But God had a purpose. And his purpose was for us to be tenacious and to persevere and to see it through. You know why? Because the very thing that Ezra learned, that was the driving truth that Daniel saw, was what we all know in chapter 29. was the Lord said, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and to give you a hope if you'll call upon me. I'm telling you, he's saying that to you today. He's got a future for you. He's got a hope for you. He's got a plan for you. Don't, don't let opposition, don't let hard times knock you off course. Listen, there, in, in this world, you'll have tribulations. You've got problems. You've got, you got challenges. Let it be what strengthens you. It makes you better. You'll be better when you're refined. You'll be better when you're pruned. You'll be better when you're driven to your knees. And maybe that's what God's doing in your life as well. Would you bow your heads with me today? I don't know where you're living spiritually, but I've been around long enough to know this. Oftentimes, people come to church that has some huge spiritual vacuums in their life because they filled it with other things, sometimes not even bad things, just not God's things. I may be speaking to you today. Why don't you rid yourself of all that keeps you from being the man and woman that God wants you to be? Trust him in something new. He wants to use you if you'll say yes to him. If you've never given your heart to Christ, if you're spiritually indifferent, maybe this is your day of divine appointment. Maybe God is calling you to himself to come and know what it's like to live your life for God, to find purpose and meaning, forgiveness. Takes a repentant heart and a willing faith. Trust him. Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching this message that you've spoken to my heart about. And I pray that it would accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. I know it will not return void. So thank you for this church, 
Thank you for these sweet people I've had a chance to interact with today. I pray your best for them. Prosper the work that you're doing here. It's my heart's prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.